Alright boys and girls, episode 96 of James Grieger is about to start, and this one was another amazing interview. We're going to get into the science behind weight loss and fat loss, along with answering a bunch of questions we got from Facebook, and James just hammers this interview out of a ballpark and gives a lot of great information from the research side. So let's get right into it. Here's James, and hope you guys enjoy it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is James Krieger. Say hello. Hello, thanks for having me on the show. No worries. So I always like to start the show off with a little icebreaker and tell the audience what you got planned for the weekend. Uh, see, this weekend, um, I'm going to go see the new Star Wars movie. Nice. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's, that's my plan. Other than that, I've, I'm actually going to be working a lot this weekend. Uh, um, I'm just way behind on everything I need to do. So we've got enhancements to my website I'm trying to do. So I'm working on that. And then, uh, um, some other, uh, got a product that's going to launch here and have some stuff I got to get done with that. And then of course I've still haven't done any Christmas shopping or anything. So that still needs to be done. So, Oh man, but it, I'm happy you brought up star Wars. Cause I'm like in love with that whole series and I go every Christmas day for every new star Wars. Oh yeah. So I'm like trying to not go on Facebook as much as possible to not see any spoilers. I, I know that's that's the way I uh, that's the way I was for all the other movies too. I just kind of avoided Facebook for yeah. for you know the two or three days. You know, I, I don't like to. I'm not one of those people. I have to see it on opening night. You know, because it's yeah. just too crazy. So I um, usually I'll wait just a few days, and usually the Sunday matinee is a little bit. Um, there, there's, you know, there's still a good crowd, but, but it's, it's quite a few less people and it's not like you have to be there the night before waiting in line overnight or something, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, like my uh, sister-in-law, her boyfriend is like a huge Star Wars geek, and every time the new one comes out, he buys tickets to um, one theater in downtown Vancouver where they show all of them, and then oh, at the wow. very end, they put on the new one, I'm like, Geez, man, don't you have a job? Like, I think it's like you watch it from Wednesday, and then by like Thursday night, that's when they all like. Oh, there's the no, I yeah. could, I, <laughs> no way I could do something like that. But. Yeah. Um, so for the audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you first get into this industry? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I uh, um, I've been a professional in the fitness industry for since the. Uh, since the late 90s, um, although I've been really started to get involved, started to get my feet wet in the industry, like probably early to mid 90s. But uh, um, yeah, so I, I run a website called Weightology and, and I, I kind of wear a lot of different hats. Um, I'm a researcher, so I'm, uh, I've published research in the area of fitness and nutrition, um, either um, either as a head author or I've done a lot of collaborative work, particularly with uh, Brad Schoenfeld, um, who's done a lot of uh, muscle hypertrophy work. And so um, really a lot of the work I've been doing lately has been just a lot of collaboration with him on various projects. But uh, so, yeah, I'm a researcher. Um, I'm also um, I have a research review where I you know, review the latest research uh, and try to put it in a way that's, you know, very easy for people to understand and 
how people kind of, you know, take the results of research and apply it to their own training. Um, and I also, uh, an online coach, I have coaching clients that I work with, and, uh, um, and then I go around and I speak as well. I've spoken at a number of different events and conferences uh, really all around the world, and it's going to be true this coming year too. I'll be going to see Australia and uh, possibly Norway again. Um, I'll be going to the UK, um, and uh, so yeah, so I go around speak, and I'm also friends with a lot of other well-known names in the industry. I mentioned Brad. I'm also friends with Alan Aragon and Brett Contreras, and and a lot of different people. And uh, yeah, so so I've been in the industry for a long, long time. Actually, yeah. uh, I started to get to know Lyle McDonald before a lot of people knew who he was uh, um, because, you know, before the days of Facebook and before email lists and things like that, there was a, a so, you know, early to mid-90s, there was um, a news group, uh, an online news group called um, uh, misc.fitness.weights. And uh, when I first got into weight training, uh, I found that news group and so I would kind of work on there and even kind of engage in discussions with people and Lyle was a guy that was on there as well and so I remember getting to know Lyle like way back then and uh, um, and I really started to make a name for myself just even though I wasn't a prof I wouldn't consider myself a, cons a professional in the industry at the time I was just you know I was just weight training just because I was interested in putting on muscle, you know, and uh, but I was really interested in the science of it. So I would just, you know, I'd read the bodybuilding magazines like Muscle and Fitness and Flex and stuff. And uh, I would always be the most interested in the science parts and, and things like that. And so I would get involved with discussions on people online. And then I remember joining some email groups. Uh, there was a number of different email groups I was a part of. I, I remember one was like a, a HIT group, H-I-T group. Uh, I remember Lyle was on that group as well. And uh, and then there was Mel Sif had one called Super Training that I was on. And so really, um, things started to, to grow. And believe it or not, I, I, I think the thing that really got my career going was arguing with people on the Internet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it, it's funny because, I, I mean, I've never really thought about this, but it's really kind of true. I mean, my career kind of took off in a way from, by arguing with people on the Internet, and I kind of made a name for myself in that way because, um, you know, I, would, I had a very good scientific mind, and so I would read things and, and um and I would argue with people online about stuff and and actually uh the first i would say professional gig that i got was because of arguing with people so what happened was on mel Sif's super training digest uh which you know was an email list you know that, that came out every day and people were getting discussions i remember you know, i would argue with people on there and i remember i think brad schoenfeld was on that email group as well and i think maybe i think joey antonio was on there and don't know if Lyle was on there or not, but uh, but anyway, I remember getting an email from a guy, a guy named Dan Wagman, and at the time, Dan Wagman was the science editor for Muscle and Fitness magazine, and he emails me and he says, he goes, you know, I really like the the stuff you write on the on the email digest. Um, you're a very logical thinker. You you think like I do, and then he goes. 
He goes, don't tell anyone this, but, but I'm going to be launching my own magazine. Um, and I want a magazine that's really science-based and really devoted to strength and power athletes. And I'd like you to write an article for the first issue. And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. And so, so we did that. The magazine was called Pure Power. Uh, first issue came out. I wrote an article for the first issue, and Dan liked it so much that he said, you know what, I'd like you to be a regular writer for the magazine, and, and I'll basically promote you to the position of, of to be the science editor of the magazine. So, so basically being the science editor, that means I was guaranteed article space every issue, and then also I would obviously kind of review some of the articles for scientific accuracy if necessary. So, so I became the science editor for Peer Power, and that was really part of my first professional gig, and it was all, it was all due to arguing on the Internet. So... Uh, um, so, but things just took off from there. My writing career, um, and I was in school at the time too. Got my graduate degree in exercise science at Washington State University. Uh, went down to Florida to do my PhD in nutrition. Although that didn't work out, I ended up getting a second master's instead down there. And all this time, I was, you know, writing for Pure Power magazine. And then, it, then we kind of switched to an online format. Um, it, it, into something we called Journal Pure Power, and it was actually a research review. Kind of similar to what I do now, or similar to what Alan Aragon does with his research review. Um, although, although we were geared towards strength and power athletes, really. Although we did cover, you know, stuff on nutrition and stuff, but it was really meant for strength and power athletes in general. Um, and so we would cover like 20 research studies per issue, and it, and it came out quarterly. And I would like write 10 of them, and Dan Wegman would write 10 of them. Um, and so I was writing through all that time, and then I. Um, after uh, getting my master's in Florida, I came back up here to the state of Washington, uh, originally intending to finish my PhD at University of Washington in Seattle, but then um, got a job as a personal trainer at the Pro Sports Club in Bellevue, which is the largest, largest health club in the world uh, in terms of uh, membership at a single site, um, and uh, mainly because Main, most of their membership is corporate Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft basically pays for membership if you're if you're a Microsoft employee. So, um, so it's it's a very high end club for very wealthy people basically. But uh, um, but it's a, it's a huge club. So I started as a trainer there, and then the um, uh, and I was just I was just planning on working there for a year, and then then because I had to reestablish my residency in the state uh, before I could go back to school again. But then the CEO of the pro club kind of took notice of me um, and my background and said, hey, um, you know, we've got this weight loss management program here for Microsoft employees. It's called 2020 Lifestyles. Uh, I, I'd like you to be the research director for the program, basically. And so, so I ended up taking that position, and I never went back to school for my PhD because basically I was kind of doing what I like to do there. And... Uh, um, I would do, you know, lit reviews for the for the the staff, the doctors and dietitians, um, and uh, just reading research all the time. You know, looking at data on our own clients, uh, things like that. So I did that for a while. Um, then in uh, 2009, uh, lost my job there, which is actually an interesting story in of itself. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit later. But uh, yeah, <laughs> lost my job there. Um, and then that's kind of what led me to starting my own weightology website. Uh, um, and then, so 
kind of ran Weightology on the side while I worked basically in the corporate world doing statistical analytics for healthcare for a while. Um, and then uh, had a brief foray as a, as a day trader for a while um, uh, and actually did that full time for a while. Um, haven't been doing that for a year, but I do plan on, on restarting that aspect of business uh, here very soon. Um, but then since leaving my job at the corporate world, basically I've worked, uh, and after the downturn of my trading business, uh, I decided to really relaunch Weightology in a sense, and so that's what I've been doing since. And I just, I've really been working hard on the website and and writing content and, uh, like I said, doing research and going around speaking everywhere. So, so yeah, it's uh, um, that's kind of a brief summary of my past uh, 20, 25 years or something Nice. <laughs> in, in about five minutes. So. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got to hand it to you, like, you, Alan, and Brad for taking the time to, like, sit down, read research, review it, and then send it out to people because, like, for me personally, if I read research, I'm like, man, I'm falling asleep. But when you have like those summaries that you guys do, it's like, okay, now I can actually get through this. So like, it's just amazing what you guys do and kind of like leading our industry in the right direction. But um, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. It, 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 what's interesting to me is, is there, there part of it, part of my motivation is a bit on the selfish side, I would say, okay. because cause I also read this research for my own training and nutrition purposes, right? I'm, I'm always looking to enhance my own results. And so I'll really dive into the research. But of course, there's obviously so many other people that are interested in, in not only enhancing their own results, but enhancing the results of their clients or whatever. So basically I can just take that and take what I'm doing and give it to everyone else, you know? So were you always like really interested in the science and research, like from the very beginning? I, I, uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, I started out, uh, I actually started out in computer science of all things. Uh, I, I was, a um, I was definitely kind of a computer nerd through high school. I actually, I mean, I taught myself how to program probably sixth, seventh grade. I started to learn just basic programming language. And then I moved on to like C programming and stuff, teach, just reading books and teaching myself. And in high school, I was like writing my own software to, you know, do different stuff. And like, uh, my whole, I mean, my whole career path at the time, I planned to work for Microsoft, basically. I, that was my, my original goal um, before I got into weight training. And then when I got into weight training, I just, I got so fascinated behind the science, behind what were, by the changes that were happening in my body that I, I just started to delve into the, the science there. So I had, I've always had an interest in science. I've always been good at science and and uh, so it was just kind of a natural thing for me to really delve into the research side of things. Okay, fair enough. Um, so the thing I wanted to get into is like the whole topic about obesity and metabolic disorders for like the general population because, you know, I primarily work with all general population and maybe like one or two athletes when I get the opportunity to. But for the most part, I think most coaches work with everyday people and the biggest thing for them is this challenge of losing weight and keeping it off. So I'm wondering if there's anything that you should mention to like the general population that listens to my show that wouldn't really know about obesity and how difficult it is to actually lose weight. And it would be kind of cool to kind of get your opinion on that. Yeah, so, uh, so the interesting thing about weight loss is, is 
weight loss itself is actually not that hard. Most people, most people that have tried to lose weight have done so successfully at some point in their life. I mean, most people have been able to drop the weight, but where things get difficult is keeping it off after you've lost it. And that's the biggest challenge. And even like I said, when I used to work for 2020 lifestyles, uh, we, we had so many clients that had lost weight like multiple times in the past and only to gain it back again. And the statistics on long-term weight maintenance are really poor. It depends on what study you look at, but you know, I've seen data showing, you know, in some cases only five to 10% of people are able to sustain a 10% weight loss after a year. So, um, so people have a really hard time with it. And, um, and there's physiological reasons why that is. Um, the reasons it's so hard is because um, our bodies don't like to lose weight. And, and even if you weigh 300 pounds or 400 pounds, and let's say you lose weight down to 200, your, your body, even though 200 is obviously a, a much healthier weight, your body wants to go back to 300 or 400. It, 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 it just, your bodies don't, don't like to lose weight. And that's just from an evolutionary perspective. You know, our bodies want to keep fat around because there's not, you know, if you, if you think of hunter gatherers and things like that, um, you know, food is not always available. And so you want to make sure when you do eat food that you store that energy and keep it around um, uh, for when you're going to need it. And, um, and what's interesting is if you look at hunter-gatherer cultures, when they do get the, get the opportunity to eat, they eat. I mean, they, they, they will down huge amounts of food in short periods of time because – because food is not so plentiful, um, you know, they will down huge amounts of food because there will be periods of time where they don't have much food. And, um, but now we live in a society where food is so plentiful that we still have that biological drive to eat large amounts of food. And, but it's never, we never go through periods where it's scarce. And so we can just keep eating it. And so what happens is, you know, someone who's lost weight, um, their body still has that drive to gain that weight back, and that drive manifests itself in two ways. It manifests itself in hunger signals, and so when you lose body fat, your, your hunger levels tend to go up, um, which is going to drive you to try to eat more uh, to gain that weight back. Um, and then there, it, it manifests itself in terms of energy expenditure, um, and that happens through, through a decrease. There's a small decrease in metabolism uh, but really, that's not really that big of a deal. Where there is a big decrease is in uh, overall daily energy expenditure in terms of physical activity and what we would call non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT. Uh, and that's really your physical activity uh, throughout the day other than, you know, formal exercise. And so there's, a, there's kind of a down regulation in NEAT levels. Um, and it's your body trying to conserve energy, which then makes it very easy to gain the weight back. And, and so, so when you live in this food environment, you know, and I think where people struggle too is like they'll go on diets and they'll think, okay, I'll just lose the weight and then I'll return back to my normal habits. And it doesn't work that way because if you return back to your normal habits, you're going to go back to your original weight. I mean, you actually have to have behavior change that is sustained for basically the rest of your life. You have to, um, 
you know, if you look at people who are successful in terms of maintaining long-term weight loss, um, all the data shows those people have made permanent changes to their diet and permanent changes to their physical activity levels. And that's the only way you're going to be successful long-term. So, and, and, and that's because you need to do those things because basically you, you're, gonna, you're always going to be battling against your body's tendencies to want to gain the weight back. And, and so it's, it's not that you can't do it, but it's just, it's challenging given the environment. You know, our environment is certainly not uh, conducive to doing those things. And so you have to make deliberate changes to uh, basically overcome your environment. Okay. Um, do you think like for the average person that's done see multiple diets or cleanses or detoxes and are constantly trying to lose weight, would they have a disadvantage compared to someone who hasn't tried anything like that and just wants to start exercising for the first time and eat better? Um, I would say the only disadvantage that they would have is possibly um, – there is some evidence that people who have gone through weight cycling um, tend to have lower meat levels and their energy expenditure levels tend to be a little bit lower than you would predict for their body weight. So so in that sense, um, it might put them at a little bit of a disadvantage. But other than that, just if you think of t- purely a dietary perspective, no, there's no disadvantage. Um, but But it would require, you know, depending on what the methods they've used, you know, it, it probably would require certainly a change in mindset um, you know, if someone has constantly used things like cleanses or just short-term dietary strategies to lose weight, um, and that's all they've used over the past, um, if they really want to be successful long-term, it's really going to have to require a, a complete change in their mindset, I would say, um, as far as the, you know, the type of strategies that they're going to use, uh, and it's going to be, have to be, you know, a, a, a more permanent type of strategy and not, not just a, not just a temporary thing. No, I'm glad you said mindset because it's like those people who've done diets and cleanses over and over again and then you tell them like, hey, there's a better way of doing it this way where you just change your lifestyle for long term, but they're still used to the idea of like, but how many calories should I be eating? How much should I restrict myself? And you're like, no, stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's tough like with, you know, the marketing and fitness and health now because it's like you see everywhere like, oh, do this two-week cleanse, do this 30-day challenge, and all your problems are going to disappear. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and and nobody says, okay, well, what happens after you've done the 30-day challenge? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But I was going to ask you, like, so if you had a client that signed up for your online coaching, like, what's your method and, like, direction you take your client to see them? successfully lose weight and then keep it off? Like, how do you coach them? So it it depends. I always evaluate, uh, something I always ask my clients is uh, their past um, history. So I always evaluate, you know, what what have they done in the past and what have they been been successful with and what have they not been successful with? Because I know if there's certain approaches they haven't been successful with, I'm not going to go ahead and I'm not going to try one of those approaches if it's not going to be successful. So, So I will try to pinpoint what they have been successful with and try to work with that. Um, I do, I mean, there is a commonality between most of my clients in that, you know, I try to put all my clients on a higher protein intake just for satiety purposes. Um, I try to encourage uh, a diet mostly of whole foods, things like that. Um, uh, you know, I do have my clients track calories and macros at least, at least at first. Um, now, eventually, I do like to have them learn strategies where they don't need to be counting all the time. But, 
but it is an important tool, especially at least when you first start going. I think it's it's an important awareness tool, and it also just helps me as a coach to try to figure out what's going on if if things aren't going the way we want them to. So, um, so so those are the things that I'll I'll work with. Uh, you know, I I try. I really try to take into account my clients' uh, personal preferences and their lifestyle. Um, I, now, obviously, there's a limit to that. I mean, if a client says, "Hey, I just I love eating Doritos all the time," I'm just like, "Well, that's probably not going to work." <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't mean you have to totally give up Doritos, but you know, you're you're going to need to change. That's a serious habit you're going to need to change. But um, but other than that, I, I mean, I do try to fit their lifestyle. You know, I have some clients doing intermittent fasting type protocols, but other clients having more regular eating patterns. It just, I try to just figure out, you know, what works for them. If I have a client that says, oh, I don't really like to eat breakfast. I think, okay, well, this might be a good client that's might be good for time restricted, you know, intermittent fasting or something because they don't really like to have breakfast anyway. Um, but if I have another client who's, you know, um, you know, I have some people who I just think benefit from more regular eating patterns. So, so it depends. There's, there's definitely a, I would say there's definitely an art to it. Um, and, and it can take time to even figure out what's going to work for a client. I mean, I've had, I've had some clients where I, you know, give them their strategy, you know, do their write up, give them their strategies and stuff, and boom, they just start making progress right away. But I've had a few others where. I give them the stuff and, you know, nothing happens for the first two or three weeks and then I got to make adjustments, you know, and figure things out. So, so it's, it's, you know, there's a, there's no exact method, you know, it's, it's always, you're, I would say you're always making educated guesses when you're working with clients and just trying to see how things work. And if your educated guesses don't work, then you obviously need to try something different, but, but that's kind of how I approach it. Okay, fair enough. And I want to go into like Facebook questions because there was a good one. And I'm kind of curious about it myself too from Dan. And because I posted that I'll be interviewing you in a group called Eat Train Progress from uh, Patrick Umphrey's group. Yeah. And uh, Dan asked, I'd be interested in hearing his expert opinion on cryolipolysis. I think it's like that fat cooling, cool sculpting thing. Oh, uh, and uh, as someone with very disproportionate subcutaneous fat distribution, it's always in the back of my mind. What does he think about it? Is it a viable uh, tool to correct this disproportionate distribution? So, Sorry. So the, yeah. So the cryolipolysis. Yes. Yeah. Um, so basically, where they freeze the fat. Yeah. The tissue. Um, I, I don't know a whole lot about that. Um, what I will say is, um, actually, I think. Actually, I should look it up. Somebody um, in my Facebook group for my research review subscribers asked a similar question, and um, I remember I was uh, I remember I looked at the uh, um, research on it, and um, I let's see if I can actually let's see. What? Yeah, actually, somebody asked somebody had asked me about it. So uh, um, let's see. Uh, wait, cryolipolysis here, see if I, um, see if I can, yeah, here we go. Perfect. Yeah, so someone had asked me a question about it on my group, and, um, so my opinion was that, um, it's really not that much different from liposuction, 
But rather than removing the fat cells surgically, you're basically just killing them off by freezing them. But my opinion was that you're going to have the same limitations as liposuction, which basically, and some of the data indicates that um, eventually the fat just gets redistributed. Uh, so um, there's, unfortunately, there's not a lot of good research on it. Um, but uh, um, of the research that does exist, I'm, I'm you know, definitely... Uh, some, I'm definitely skeptical just because the concept doesn't seem that much different from liposuction, and we know that the data isn't very strong on liposuction really being successful, um, at least over the long term. There's evidence that, that it tends to get redistributed and, and things like that. Uh, um, um, I actually I think I actually wrote a sec something about it on my website as well. Um, yeah, so in my research review, I actually have an article called Lame Liposuction, <laughs> and um, uh, where I talk about liposuction and things, and uh, um, um, and here I even mention, like liposuction, um, there are risks to the cryolipolysis, like skin necrosis, so that's basically the death of your skin tissue. Um, and there's some research that shows that the remaining fat that is still there after you undergo, undergo the procedure actually undergoes what's called hyperplasia. So those fat cells divide, um, and then that just leads to fat enlargement in the area that you, that, that, that actually, that that happens. So, um, and that again, that is similar to liposuction. Um, there's animal studies showing that when you surgically remove fat from an area, um, you just get compensatory growth of the remaining fat in that area. Um, and there's even human studies, uh, there was one study uh, that women undergoing liposuction had shown regain in upper body fat within six months within the same areas. So, um, so my general message is that unfortunately there's no shortcuts. Uh, um, and so, like I said, I'm I'm skeptical of of the cryolipolysis and and for the same reasons that I'm overall skeptical of liposuction. So it's it's like you're basically trying to fool Mother Nature. Um, and, uh, and usually you're not really able to do that very well. So, yeah, well, like it, it's interesting cause it's like those quick fixes. People always go to go down that route, but maybe, you know, Dan didn't actually really try a diet that kind of, kind of would push him below that 10% body fat. Cause it's like, you, you got to rule everything out before you can be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go lipo or I'm going to go with cool yeah. sculpting or whatever. But, um, it, it, it's interesting. Like the cool sculpting here. Like if I go on, drive my car and put it on the radio, I'll hear an ad for it every single day. And I'm like, seriously, <laughs> but, uh, that study you, you mentioned with the women, like I remember reading that one where I'm like, basically the, your body's smarter than you. It's going to figure out a way to, get that fat back because it's like survival mode right you're like yeah, oh shit yeah. i don't have fat on my body i should make more yeah but uh um, yeah because that, that's the thing it's like you know if, if you don't have any dietary changes or anything i mean it, your, your body's gonna find a way to, to to put the fat back on somewhere you know it's gonna do it somewhere and so that's uh, that's the problem with it you know, do, do you so. think uh, genetically like some people just contain more fat in certain places in their body than others Oh yeah, definitely, okay. definitely. I mean, I mean, we even, I mean, for, certainly we know that just from looking at the differences between men and women. 
Um, but I would say that's even true just from a genetic, you know, even if you compare people within the same gender, um, definitely I think there's people have different genetic propensities to carry body fat in different areas. I mean, I even experienced that with my own clients as far as, um, you know, some clients I found, I found, you know, they'll lose a lot of weight and their waist circumference goes down a lot with it, um, which means a lot of it, they were losing it around their waist a lot. But like I had another client, he's lost like 27 pounds and, um, and his waist circumference has gone down, but not nearly to the degree that I would expect for someone who had lost 27 pounds, which means he's a lot, but, but, but his measurements everywhere else have gone down. So, so there's a definitely a genetic, um, there's definitely a genetic reason why, why people will lose fat, um, in some areas first compared to other areas. Also, maybe with Dan too, it's like, maybe he's at a weight where he, even if he lost more fat, he would have a, you know, chance of losing some muscle and maybe that might be the reason why his abs are not showing because i find like you know if someone was say 160 pounds and they're at 10 percent body fat and they still don't see their abs and they cut down to 140 it's like how much muscle mass do you have left to actually show for it yeah yeah there could be part of that and then also i would just say um, i say abs too are kind of a big genetic component i mean partly because of the amount of fat and then even just the appearance of your abs are partly genetic too. And I mean, I mean, there's some people, some people, their abs will start to show at like something like 15, 16% body fat and other people, they, they, they have to get into the signal digits to even see their abs. So, um, so there's, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely genetic variation there. Um, um, I will say when it comes to fat loss, especially for people that really want to get really ripped or, or really lean, um, and where to the point where they can really see their abs and things like that. You usually have to lose a lot more than you think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I even went through this when I went through my contest prep. You know, I thought that I had to lose a certain amount, and then when I actually got down to that weight, I was like, I'm not looking nearly as as lean as I thought I would at this weight. Which means, like, okay, I have to lose even more. You know. So, uh, so I think it's very common for people to underestimate how much fat they really need to lose to get the appearance that they're looking for so yeah and like i always um tell people like everyone's so individual when it comes to this stuff like if you look at pro ufc fighters like their abs are completely different person to person like someone like rashad evans is never gonna have like an exploding six-pack but he's like a beast of a machine or even like george st pierre like he's a fit individual but again he's not six pack ready for a photo shoot essentially compared to some other guys but i, I think it's really individual for person to person oh yeah totally I, I would totally agree um so we're gonna go into another question from sumi um so she has like a two-parter one is uh why is he so jealous of my food photos and how come he has <laughs> such an amazing taste in music and ask him when his next bikini show is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <that's... laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, my, uh, um, uh, my food, uh, I've taken some food photos in the past and they don't necessarily look appealing, but I, I guarantee you they taste a lot better than they look. So nice, there you go. <laughs> I'm not the best, uh, not the best at taking pictures of food, but uh, um, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do another show. I mean, I had originally had 
actually just recently I had thought I, I had actually started a fat loss cycle back in like March, I think. And uh, the goal was to either do another show or do a photo shoot, but I was only going to do it if I felt like I had like really improved from the last time I did it. And, um, and sometimes you don't know until you really get down, your body fat gets down. And when I started getting closer to my contest weight, I was like, man, I haven't, um, I'm not looking as lean as I thought I would at this weight. Uh, um, and, um, uh, so I, I, I decided to scrap the idea of doing a contest, especially because like I had to go give a talk in Norway and stuff. And it was just, I just, I didn't want to be in the middle of like a contest prep for, for, um, uh, you know, when I had to travel to talk and stuff like that, I just didn't want to do that. So, so I thought, well, maybe I'll still do a photo shoot. Um, but then I was just like, you know, when I started getting closer and closer to my original contest weight, I was like, man, I'm just not looking as lean as I thought I would. And so I actually went and had my body comp assessed. And now there's a lot of errors in body comp. I've, I actually even have a series of articles on my site about this. But my body comp test was actually showing a loss of lean mass over the past two years, you know, from where I used to be. And so I was like, um, I said, at the very best, maybe I've maintained my lean mass. And uh, so I was a little bit frustrated. I even actually, I was like, I was like, man, I, I, I swear I've been training consistently over the past two years. And I felt like I had nothing to show for it, really, you know. So I even went and actually had my decided to have my testosterone check because I'm getting in that age where, you know, your testosterone levels start to go down. I do remember the only time I've ever had it checked was maybe like 10 years ago. Um, and I, um, I remember I was kind of towards the low end for somebody of my age, for a guy in his 30, early 30s. Um, I was definitely not like clinically low, but it was definitely, I was just on the lower end. Uh, I think I was in the low 400s at the time. So I got my testosterone checked, and I'm actually still in the low 400. So I actually hasn't gone down in the past 10 years, but I am still I'm on the low side. I'm probably in the that puts me between the 10th and 25th percentile for a guy my age. So um, so it probably explains at least partly why I such have a hard time with it. Um, but uh, but it's not low enough where I would you know it's not, I don't have any other symptoms, so I would never uh, if I had been in the 300s I would have opted for TRT, but. Uh, um, but I'm not low enough to where I would go for that because I don't have any other symptoms. I mean, otherwise I'm in great health. I mean, it's like my blood weapons are great. My blood pressure is great. I feel good, you know, so there's no, no reason for me to do something like that. Um, you know, I'd only be doing it for vanity purposes to try to help me put on more muscle. And so I'm not going to do that. But, uh, um, so I do need to try to find some creative ways to increase my training volume to help with hypertrophy, but not, but also have it easier on my joints. So I'm experimenting with some different periodization things right now. But uh, so yeah, so that's why I decided. So I'm not sure if I'll ever compete again. But uh, and yeah, taste in music. Uh, yeah, I have a great taste in music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have. I, I, I've been a metalhead for uh, since high school. Was, what's interesting is what got me into metal was playing guitar, like learning to play guitar. So I learned to play guitar in high nice. school and. Um, and I think when you learn to play guitar, and it's funny because when I talk to other fellow guitar players and stuff like that, when you learn it, there's a lot of cool, great guitar playing in the area of metal. And so when you learn to play guitar, you learn an appreciation for that. And so I just kind of got into metal, and then I just got a taste for heavier and heavier stuff over the years. And so, yeah, so that's kind of how my my taste in metal got developed there. So. <laughs> 
but it's interesting like how you brought up like the going in maybe not going to another show because i think a lot of people don't understand how much you actually have to sacrifice in order to look that way oh yeah it's uh yeah, yeah it's you have to do I mean, I mean, you get to a point where you're hungry a lot, you know, when you, when you start getting in single digit body fat percentage, that's what a lot of people don't understand. You know, they see people with fo- in photo shoots and people in contest shape and they're like, they don't understand those people don't look like that all, all the time. I mean, um, uh, you know, when I started getting down, especially the last three or four weeks before, for the contest, I mean, I was feeling really hungry. Um, Especially because I was off pay, I was off track from where I needed to be, and so I had to drop my calories to down. I, last three weeks, I was down to like 1,500 calories a day, which is just really, really low for me. And so, so I was really hungry and irritable, and and uh, um, so yeah, when you get that lean, like you know, there's just it's it's. Uh, it's it's a lot of effort and and that's not even to consider all the other stuff you got to do like the shaving and the tanning and like all that stuff it's <laughs> yeah. just it's kind of a pain in the ass yeah it's you know it's one of those things where i did it once to kind of experience it and like i said i don't know if i'll ever do it again um you know if, if i ever do again i would only do it if i felt like i could show up in in much better condition and shape than i than i did the, the last time so okay fair enough uh, so the second part of snoopy's question was uh uh on a more serious note ask him what books he recommends to his weightology uh weight loss clients if he suggests any and something that's non-sciencey that a lay person could understand um uh just um Let me think of some good books. Um, I, I would really recommend. I really like. Uh, actually, there's there's a there's a few books. Uh, I really like Spencer Nadolsky's book, the, the Fat Loss Prescription. Yep. Um, I think that's a really great book. It's it's very easy to read. It's very easy to understand. Um, and 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 it's got great content in there because it also even addresses things like medications. Um, you know, if. You know, if you're a trainer and you're working with clients, there's a very good chance you may have some clients that are on some type of med, whether it's a diabetes medication or or even like a weight loss medication, like an appetite suppressant. And so uh, Spencer does a great job of going over the effects of those different medications and stuff. So, um, but it, it's a very comprehensive book, but it's very it's a very easy read. Um, so I really highly re- recommend his book. I think it's great. Um, uh, for someone who's a, you know, if if you want something a little bit more technical, I really like Stephen Stefan Guyanet's The Hungry Brain book. Um, some parts can be a little bit technical for people, but I still think the it's it, it's it's still a very nice exploration of of the reasons why people overeat. Um, because there's just there's so many crap books out there that you know blame things on carbs or grains or or shit like that. It's just like it's. Um, you know, and he gets, he's the real deal. I mean, he, he tells you what, you know, the really, what, what the real problem is. So I, so I think it's a very educational book. I'm, I'm a really big fan of that book. Um, so, I mean, those are the two books that, that, that off the top of my head, I think are very valuable reads, uh, for people that, that can give people practical takeaway information. Uh, um, so, so yeah, that's how I would answer that. 
Okay. Yeah, and I, I love Spencer's stuff, and I actually had him on the show too, and I was asking him about medications because I think a lot of people are probably on some sort of antidepressant, and that was one of my questions is like, can an antidepressant affect weight loss? And some medications can, and on a hormonal level, it can change a lot of things. And because my, my question was that um, one of my clients, he's on the same antidepressant medication for the last like 15 years and i'm like you should probably go back to your doctor and see if you can change that or something because <laughs> i feel like after 15 years the effects of it might not be working yeah. as, as well yeah. yeah um so the other question i got from rita was uh please ask him on how he deals with clients that refuse to understand that they are not in a calorie deficit when weight loss is not happening and keep on blaming their thyroid slash slow metabolism slash leaky gut and all that bullshit asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that is a really hard one. That is, that is a very, very difficult one. I will say the way that I've handled it in the past, I'm not saying that this is always going to work. Um, I, I would say it seems it has worked with some people, but it hasn't worked with others. Um, so um, usually what I do is I'll actually run through the numbers with people. So one thing I actually had a client, um, one time, uh, you know, she was said she was eating around 1200 a day and it was more of a thing where she was afraid if she even ate 13 or 1400, she'd start to gain weight or something like that. And so like, I was like, I, and so I actually ran through the numbers with her. I, and I, I um, I said, you know, for you to actually gain weight, uh, um, here's, you know, for you to actually add a pound of fat, here's here's how much you're gonna have to eat. Like, like here's, you know, um, you know, even, and then I even go through numbers, like even if your metabolic rate was as, as probably one of the lowest anyone has ever seen, um, you know, here's the absolutely probably lowest amount of food you could eat and, and, and even maintain your weight. And so I just, I went through a real detailed analysis of the numbers, um, and and that really helped her. Uh, I, I can't say that's going to work for everybody, um, but but that's that, that's the only way I can think of uh, of how to do it. Um, uh, now, um, there there can be also tricks you can do that uh, you're not necessarily being dishonest with the client, but you can like frame it up in a way that you're just trying something new. So, so for example, um, the interesting thing is, uh, and I actually have an article about this on my research review, or, or or a couple of different articles. You know, this whole idea of starvation mode and things like that. So, the, uh, you know, this idea if you drop calories so low that your body's metabolism slows down so much that you won't lose weight anymore. And, that, and that's actually, that's, that's impossible. I mean, it's impossible because if that was true, there would be no such thing as concentration camp victims and things like that. Like, like you may see, you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. Um, um, but usually what happens is with, with, uh, self-reported, uh, really low calorie intakes is a lot of times is, is those type of calorie intakes are just really, really hard to adhere to. And so what happens is sometimes people will, what happens is they'll, some days they'll adhere to that, but other days they won't, and they'll just maybe report the days that they're adhering, or they, they, they won't report. And so so a trick that you can do is you can um, actually up their calorie intake and just frame it up with them and just say, hey, you know what, we're going to increase your calorie intake a little bit here. Um, 
just because, you know, uh, I'm not sure this has anything to do with your metabolism or what, but we're, uh, you know, we're just going to try this trick here because it's, it's worked with some other people in the past. Um, and usually what happens when people increase their calorie intake, what really is going on is you've given them a calorie intake that's easier to sustain and stick to, um, and suddenly they become more adherent, and then they start to lose weight. And um, um, so I think you get that. I think also you can get a flush effect with that where, um, you know, dieting, you get, you, get, you get a stress response with dieting, um, which can cause a lot of, uh, you know, water retention, which will tend to mask fat loss. And so... Um, you can sometimes try a strategy of increasing calorie intake a little bit to maybe kind of decrease that stress response, and then you get a little bit of a flusher effect and where they, they start to lose a little weight again. So, so that's another trick you can try. But, but like I said, I mean, what I've done in the past is I just run through the numbers in a very detailed manner um, uh, just, just to try to illustrate why, you know, that's, that's simply not going to be the case. Um, with them, but again, like I said, I can't guarantee that would work. So okay, actually, the one thing I just like thought of right now was um, going back to Dan's question. Um, have you ever seen where like someone who lost a lot of weight, say anywhere from like sixty to I don't know one hundred and twenty pounds, and they have like excess skin and they're having a tough time to have their abs show? Like, have you ever dealt with someone like that or seen stuff like that before? Um, I actually have a client like that right now. He's got a lot of loose skin. And then also when I was working in 2020 lifestyles, we, I mean, we had some clients that had lost like, you know, 200, you know, 150, 200 yeah. pounds, just a ridiculous amount of weight. And they had lots of loose skin. And yeah, that's, that's a difficult thing to work with because a lot of times the loose skin, um, sometimes the loose skin has to be corrected surgically. Um, cause it, it can take a very, very and unfortunately, I'm not familiar with the evidence or the research on this area, so I don't I can't say how long it will take. But it can take a really really long time for loose skin to kind of I would say tighten back up. Um, and and like I said, there are some instances where you know if the skin's really loose, um, it, it usually has to be um, corrected surgically. So, um, but I have I, like I said, I have a client like right that right now. He's he's got a he's lost a bunch of weight and he's got a lot of loose skin. Um, but unfortunately there's really nothing, there, there's no tricks you can do. There's nothing you can do about it, at least from a, you know, if you're a trainer and you've got a client like that, there's nothing that you can do as a trainer. It's, it's either a matter of waiting an extremely long period of time and, and, you know, eventually hoping that the, that the, the skin tightens back up over time, um, or having it surgically corrected. So. Okay. Because I remember I was listening to a podcast with Charles Poliquin and I think uh, that question might have come up, and he suggested that the individual would take something called, I think it was like go-to Kula or Cola, I can't remember what it was, but apparently what it does is it tightens up skin and it can help repair tendons and things like that. Um, one of my buddies, he's a naturopath, and I asked his opinion about it, and he said he never heard of it like helping with skin tightness, but he's heard about it like if you had a torn tendon or ligament that can help speed up the process. And then I was chatting to another person who lost about a hundred pounds and had the loose skin and he heard the same podcast and he was experimenting with the go-to cola, if I'm saying that correctly. And he's like, yeah, I could kind of see a difference, but I don't really know if it's, you know, my training and my diet and everything in combination. But it, it's an interesting thing. Like for most people going down the surgery route might be, 
a difficult option and I haven't really seen anything else out there that could help, you know, in that way at all to kind of fix that. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I'm skeptical of anything Paul McQuinn says. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, uh, that and his anabolic avocado. I mean, oh man, I've heard so many stories about Paul Quinn. It's like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I just don't think there's anything anyone can do from a supplemental standpoint or anything that'll that'll help with that. You know, independent of, of just surgery. So, I, I like listening to Paul Quinn because it's interesting what stuff comes out of his mouth, but also like. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but he was arguing with somebody else online, and I was just, just like reading through the comments. I'm like, this is just gold. This is just entertainment. <laughs> well, he just he just makes shit up like on the spot. He'll just make <laughs> shit up like right there. I've I've heard of people that have been to conferences that he that he speaks at, and he'll just he just makes shit up like on the spot. You know, um, <laughs> it's just <laughs> that's so. awesome. Um, so speaking actually supplements, I would be curious to see what supplements would you recommend for someone trying to gain muscle and lose fat that would actually be worth their time and money? Um, so from a muscle gain perspective, I would say, um, the only supplement, um, now I would say one thing, I mean, protein powder can help if you're, if you're a person, if you're just having a hard time getting enough whole food protein. I mean, it's just a very convenient source of protein. There's nothing magical about protein powder. It's not going to help you put on any more muscle than regular food protein will. Um, but it can be a a nice source of convenience. I would say the only supplement that's really been shown to enhance muscle gains has been creatine monohydrate. Um, and that's been consistently shown for for years now, there's so much good data on it. Um, but not everyone responds to creatine. There's a percentage of people that you would consider non-responders who don't respond very well to it. So not even everybody's going to get results out of it. And when you do reuse creatine, it's not like it's going to be steroid-like results or anything. Like, yeah, um, usually when people go on a loading phase of creatine, um, they'll gain a few pounds of water weight, uh, but that's water inside the muscle tissue. So, you know, you look a little bit fuller and stuff like that. And there is evidence that it may enhance muscle protein synthesis over the long term, but you know you're you're talking maybe creatine uh, maybe helping you put on an additional pound or two of muscle over the long term. It's not it's not going to be a huge amount, um, but it, it is helpful. Uh, I mean it can be useful. Um, and from a fat loss perspective, unfortunately, there's really nothing good um, out there that I would say is really um, uh, really noticeably effective. I mean, uh, after ephedrine was banned, I mean, ephedra was really probably the only supplement that was out there that was really truly effective from a fat loss perspective. But of course, that at least here in the United States got pretty much pulled off the shelves. So, so you know, you don't really have that anymore. Um, and so. Yeah, uh, there's really nothing else that's really going to enhance fat loss from a supplement perspective uh, um, that's really going to make any type of noticeable difference. Um, you know, green tea, there's some evidence it has a little bit of a thermogenic effect, but I think but the impacts are pretty small. Uh, um, if I recall the numbers here, um, actually, let me... Uh, can look up the, uh, see, um, 
So if you look at the numbers on green tea, um, overall, um, you might enhance fat loss with green tea by maybe a, maybe an extra three pounds over like a six month period. So it's not a, it's not a lot. I mean, it, it works out to maybe be, you know, maybe, you know, 0.13 pounds per week or 0.15, 0.2 pounds per week. So, so it, it helps a little bit. Uh, so there's, a, but it's not a, it's not a real strong effect. It's, it's not something you're really going to, you know, it's not going to make a, a, a really noticeable difference, um, you know, in enhancing fat loss. So. All right. So I think that would be a good place to stop because we're already at an hour. Like, I feel like I could keep talking to you for like another hour. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe for the last question, can you tell the audience if you have any like projects coming out, anything we should be looking out for and where can people find you online if they wanted to connect? Oh, yeah. Actually, you got one major project that's going to be out very soon. Uh, so I've been working, collaborating with Mike Matthews on a educational course to teach people how to read fitness research so nice. um and that'll actually be out very soon uh we've we've finished a lot of the final edits and um uh just doing some more last minute things so i can't say exactly uh but i would say definitely within the next month uh it should be out and so that's something to watch out for um uh you know there's, you know, if people want to uh, learn more about me, you can go to my website, weightology.net. That's W-E-I-G-H-T-O-L-O-G-Y.net. Um, I have a research review uh, that I uh, basically, where, like I said earlier in the podcast, you know, I basically look at the latest research and kind of um, put it in a way for people to understand. And I actually have a mix of content in there. I do some video research reviews, so I have some video content. I have some written-only content. I even have, like, an ask Ask James section where uh, members can ask me questions, and I'll actually, if I don't know the answer, I'll actually do the research and look it up for them. So, uh, so I have that section. Um, I've got a, got a number of talks coming up this next year. Uh, like I said earlier, Australia, um, uh, UK. Uh, I'll be talking in Spokane, Washington, um, here in the next uh, or in April. Um, so there's that, and then. Uh, more research coming out. Uh, I know um, Brad Schoenfeld and I have some more research and review right now. Um, we have like a meta-analysis looking at the effects of training frequency on muscle on strength. Um, that's in review right now. Um, so be on the looks for that coming out. Um, Brad's doing a study right now on training volume and hypertrophy, the number of sets you do in hypertrophy. And so he's uh, finished up uh, some data collection this semester. He'll be running another uh cohort of subjects next semester and then so we'll be analyzing the data you know midway through next year so so keep an eye out for that um and then working on some uh, course content with the shredded by science guys so uh um i'll be putting out a course on uh, it, it'll really be the most comprehensive course you'll find on basically working with people with obesity um so it's going to cover everything from nutrition to exercise and everything so so we're um, in the stages of that, um, and that'll come out sometime next year. So, so those are things definitely be on the, the lookout for. Um, and uh, people can follow me on social media. Um, all that stuff's on my website, all my social media accounts and everything like that. So, so yeah. 
Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 96 with James. Hopefully you enjoyed that one. And if you guys have any suggestions on who I should interview next or try to get onto the show, let me know. Message me through Facebook, Instagram, or whatever you use on social media. And again, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and anybody who's interested at all about fitness and health to grow this thing for 2018. And I'll continue delivering amazing interviews, both with myself and others. Until next week, you guys. Oh, and I almost forgot the two books that James mentioned in this episode. I have put the links into the show notes if you want to purchase it off Amazon. And that's it. Be sure to always check the show notes for all the books or whatever the hell else we mentioned in the episode so you can stay up to date on the fitness and health side of the industry.